0: Hey, it's uh, It's good to be back together uh, this week. Last Sunday, I had what might have been possibly uh, the weirdest Sunday of my life, as far as attending church goes and as far as the history of movement church goes. Uh, I woke up uh, early last Sunday, and you know when you just wake up in, in bed and you just think, it's not going to be a great day. I don't, I don't feel good, right? Around, uh, around 4 o'clock, I woke up and I had that thought. Around 7 o'clock, I woke up and I was... Getting rid of some food that I'd eaten on Saturday. And, uh, and I had that moment where I just thought, hmm. Can someone else do my job today? And sure, there's someone else that can do my job, uh, but eventually I decided, I was like, you know what? I feel tolerable. Let's make a go of this. Let's go to church. And so it's cool just to, to be able to, to be here and talk to people and smile and shake hands because last week I was hiding over here, uh, my right, your left, uh, behind that curtain and just sitting there and thinking, I wish I was standing. And then I would stand and think, I wish I was sitting and I was not feeling great. And... Uh, Sarah, who was uh, just up here hosting, came back at one point to check on me. And she's like, hey, how you doing? And I just said, can you get me a trash can? Right? And just like a really desperate plea. And so uh, it was was not a great week, uh, but it's so good to see your smiling faces and not be hiding back there anymore uh, and be amongst family. So uh, speaking of family, I think I've uh, mentioned before uh, that one of my favorite things with the holidays is a conversation that my family has every year uh, because I grew up in a family where uh, Christmas was, was kind of low-key. It was a real quiet event. It uh, wasn't, wasn't a huge deal. Uh, we, would, we would go to my grandparents' houses and, and we would exchange presents and presents were passed out in our family. And you would then go around the room one by one in, in birth order of the cousins because that's how Jesus did it himself. And you would, uh, you would watch every person open a present or, or two or three. And then at the end of that, they would say a solemn thank you, grandma or whatever, right? And that's how uh, Christmas would unfold. And, and, and when, I, uh, when I married into my wife's family, I realized that there are a couple different ways that people do Christmas, and maybe there's not a right or wrong way, but their way certainly doesn't feel right. So, uh, they're they're a family that. Uh, well, first of all, I should I should tell you it's it's just a whole different world because Kristen's uh, grandpa moved from Germany when he was 18, and so their family is just very German, right? So they uh, they they sing German songs, uh, they they eat German meats and cheeses, and this spread that's like a clear jelly butter. They call it salsa. I don't even know what it is, uh, but her grandpa loves to put that on top of raw fish out of a can that he puts on these sandwiches, and it's a magical time, right? And so they, they sing these songs, and um, some of the songs are in English. Some of them are in uh, German. Um, some of them are songs that we know. Like I don't, I don't know German, but I can, I can fake my way through Silent Night because I know the melody. Uh, but they sing other songs, and I asked Kristen this week. I was like, Hey, what's that one song? And before I could even say it, she was like. I'll kind of like coma. She knew what I was talking about. It's a song that is not an English song, so I neither know the words or the melody, and it gets pretty awkward every year, but they, they have this just super German uh, Christmas Eve, and the, the weirdest thing that they do is not necessarily German, but they pass out the presents, and as soon as someone hands you a present, like, you're allowed to just tear it open, like you were raised by wolves, right? Like, they just... They just just jump into the presents, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone in their family utter a, a, an insincere thank you like we do in my family, so I don't know what's wrong with them, but we, uh, we, we open presents a different way, and uh, that's just how Christmas is, and there's, there's a, another thing that I, I love about Christmas. I want to think about Christmas uh, with my wife's family. My mother-in-law is one of those people who is just always in the kitchen, all right. Now it would be stereotypical to say like, oh, she lives there because she's the mom or something like that. But she is just in the kitchen because they, they their family kind of farms, and so people are coming and going and still doing pretty hard work over the holidays. And so sometimes she's like uh, heating up a meal because someone gets there late. Sometimes she's invited someone over. She buys a Christmas present for like their entire church, so they all have to come over one by one and get a candle or something. But she's always just like, hey, do you want some cookies? Hey, I'm gonna make this. I can heat this up. And so she's just always in mom go mode. So much. So that she has a TV in the kitchen. And uh, when my brother-in-law married into the family, the, I remember the first time he came to Christmas, he was like, he, he walked in and I was sitting there. She has a built-in desk and there's some chairs there. And if you wanna to talk to her, she's, she's just always in the kitchen. And so you have to sit at the desk and you just have to talk to her while she's doing her thing. And he, he commented and he's like, yeah, the first time I came, I thought that was a little weird. Now I know it's like the seat of honor in the family to sit and talk to her while she's, while she's cooking. And one of the other things that you get to do with her is that you get to watch Hallmark movies on her TV with her, right? And some of you are already laughing because you understand the uh, the stereotype that is Hallmark movies. If you've never uh, seen a Hallmark movie, you have a better life than I do. But the Hallmark Channel uh, makes a bunch of original movies this time of year and shows some other leftover movies uh, this time of year. And it's, it's gotten to have a little bit of a... A little bit of a, a subculture to it, right? You've probably seen those Facebook-marketed shirts where people are like, this is my Hallmark movie-watching sweatshirt or whatever, and there's, there's actually a podcast now where a bunch of dudes are watching every Hallmark movie and like debriefing and sharing their experience. Haven't got to check that one out, but I already know I like it if they're making fun of Hallmark movies, and so um, there, there's just a certain mystique that goes with, uh, with, with Hallmark movies, but she loves these movies so much, and so I, I try to love her, and I believe in the one-flesh thing. She's my mom and I'm going to be on the team. But a couple years ago, you know, she would be like, isn't this great? And she looked at me and I I just thought, I can't do it anymore. And I just had this moment where I was like, these movies are terrible and the plots are terrible. And all the actors are weird people that used to be on shows, but are now Christians. And I can't take this anymore. The movies are so bad. And she just looked at me and she was like, what? You know, like she had this confused look. Um, And I'm not the only one that shares this opinion. I I found some, some, uh, some memes of some tweets that I found that will back up my, my, uh, my opinion. So maybe we can, we can throw these up here. Here's one. Does every Hallmark Christmas movie have the same plot? Yes. Am I still going to watch them and act surprised when Susan falls in love with the small town banker who only wears sweaters instead of falling for the big city CEO? Yes. All right. So you're thinking like, oh, that's just one bitter person who kind of says that. No, no, this is basically the exact same joke that someone else made. Again, here we go. Number two, it says this. The plot of every Hallmark movie is about a career woman who is too busy for love, but she has to move to a small town where a handsome local bachelor teaches her about the true spirit of the holiday. It starts snowing, and they kiss. There is also a dog, right? That is, that's how these movies unfold, and here, here's my favorite, same joke, but my favorite Hallmark Christmas movie is the one where the busy single executive has lost sight of the meaning of Christmas, but then a Ryan Reynolds type, not Ryan, but like, quote, budget Ryan, teaches teaches her the meaning of Christmas again, and they kiss at midnight. Have you seen that one, right? (laughs) So this is a commonly held view of most people who understand plot and character development and things like story. And so uh, I've tried to enlighten my mother-in-law to this uh concept but she she loves these things and it's it's funny because she's not faking it she she put she she wore Christmas sweaters before anybody else wore Christmas sweaters like matching turtlenecks and she's in the kitchen and just loving it and I am not making this up she she will look at me when these movies end because we're there for a couple days and she'll she'll just say like wasn't that great and and I I just want to say no, but right. I have to. I have to say it is, and and it, it's weird because she just she just loves these movies and loves what they represent, loves what they stand for, and she just wants to celebrate this story, and she just wants everyone in the family to be as happy and love it as much as she is. And and one time I said uh, it's kind of like every movie's the same, and she's like, yeah, but it's it's a good movie, isn't it? Right? It's like the same story that she wants to be told every time, and it's a story that she wants to hear over and over again. Now, we've been in a a series called Emmanuel, God With Us, and we've been looking these last couple weeks at the story that God wrote throughout history. We are a part of that story, and God is the author of that story, and we're living in kind of the the middle of that story. We looked at the beginning of that story. Today, we're going to look at the end of that story, and I think sometimes as people who celebrate Christmas, people uh, who do the holiday thing every year, and let's be honest, it starts earlier and earlier, and so it seems like we're talking about this story every year from like October to January and sometimes we get weary or we get tired of talking about what God has written in history and we get weary of talking about what God has done through Christmas and so this year we wanted to to pause and, and look at this thread because Emmanuel God with us is not just the Christmas story as we've already said but God being with us and God wanting to be with us with you and I is the narrative of the entire Bible and the narrative of all time. We know that God created us. God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and even though they chose their own way, God consistently has sought us out and wanted to be in relationship with us. God has wanted us to know his perfect love, and God has wanted us to rest in him for eternity. And so after talking about how Adam and Eve kind of walked away from that, but God didn't turn his back on them, last week we looked at the narrative of the Old Testament. We looked at some things that sometimes confuse us, some things that throw us off, the the stories of, of sacrifices and all of the different things that we see in the Old Testament, but we said that the temple and the tabernacle point forward to what God wanted to do, and they point to the fact that God wants to be with us and be amongst us no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what phase we're in. We said the system of sacrifices and the Old Covenant really point forward to and set up the New Covenant and what Jesus did on the cross. And so as was prophesied long before his birth, Jesus was called Emmanuel, because he was the continuation of God's perfect plan, to be with us. And so this time of year, this Christmas series, everything that we're gonna talk about this month and even today is a celebration that God is with us. And so this morning, we wanna actually look forward, look to the end of this story. And you might be thinking like a cheesy Hallmark movie, like, yeah, Mark, I know how the story ends. I grew up in church, right? But that doesn't make the story any less significant. It doesn't make the story any less exciting and it doesn't make it any less miraculous or it doesn't make God's love for us any less miraculous because God being with us, is not just a a cheesy, made-up Christmas Christian thing. It's the narrative of the entire Bible. And we wanna look at this final part of the story because it kind of closes the loop and shows that God has loved us. God has not ceased to to pursue us and God has a a plan for us. And so I wanna invite you to, uh, to turn in your Bible today if you've got one to Revelation chapter 21. If you don't have one, there's probably one under your seat, behind your seat, Around your seat, somewhere close by, you'll see a, a Bible there. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, uh, I would love for you to take that one home today so that you can read that, so you can study that. We, uh, we know and we trust that God's Word is powerful and can change lives, and so that's our, our gift to you if you would want to take that. But we're going to be on page 961, Revelation 21, the last book of the Bible there at the end as the story is, is closing up, Revelation 21. Verses 1 to 7, and I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Revelation because sometimes I think uh, people who have studied the Bible or people who are seeing the book of Revelation can be kind of freaked out by Revelation. So the author of this book is John. He was an apostle. Um, He was the only apostle who wasn't martyred. He was exiled and died of old age, Uh, but he wrote uh, the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was a close friend of Jesus. Uh, but this book specifically, uh, he received revelation as a vision from Jesus, and he was ext- instructed to to record this and pass it along to uh, this audience, to some people. And so uh, this is probably written toward the end of his life. It was originally written uh, to seven churches that are now in Western Turkey. And the theme of this book, although uh, I, I remember the first time someone read a passage in me or to, to me in, in, at church camp when I was like eight, uh, I thought the theme of this book was to blow my mind and freak me out, right? The theme uh, is actually this. It's the unseen spiritual war between God and Satan. And it, it lets us know that Jesus has already won the victory but the church continues uh, to be in the war. The church and, and you and I, we continue to be assaulted every day by, by Satan and by evil. And, and so the point of this book is to warn us that there's, there's coming difficulty. There's going to be difficulty. But it's also to encourage us to endure and to stay pure in spite of the evil ahead. The, uh, th- this book, uh, has different things. It talks about the rapture when Jesus will come back and return to, to take his church, uh, to heaven for eternity. It talks about the rise of the Antichrist. It talks about a, a judgment that will end all time and some things that as, as you hear it, you're like, that sounds like a, a Disney movie. And yet this, this book has value. It's full of symbolism and language. And, and some of that can be confusing. But, uh, why would, why would we study this book? Why was this book given to us? Well, we know that Jesus wants us to read and understand what is coming. And in fact, this book says that we'll be blessed if we understand what is coming. We know that studying this book can give us confidence in who our God is and what eternity with him will be like. And we believe that it's important to know and really fathom and understand what God's kingdom is and what God's kingdom is like, because it's it's uh, when we when we talk about final judgments and and different things, it's easy for us to think that eternity doesn't matter or is confusing. But eternity matters, and and people matter. For eternity. And so the book of Revelation puts things in perspective. And I want you to know that as we read this, that this book, the final reminder of it is that we have no no fear in what is ahead. We We don't have to fear what's coming because Jesus holds the keys to eternity. So let's jump into Revelation 21 here, verses 1 to 7, and be reminded of God's plan, God's love for us, and that he holds the keys to eternity. This is as God is describing what will be our new home a new heaven and a new earth. It says this in verse one, page 961. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. This is how uh, the end of scripture is 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 kind of closed up. This is the, the 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 passage, one of the passages that God chooses to put a bow on this story and the arc of this story. And as I mentioned, this is at the end of time as we know that things will be more and more chaotic and we could go on about timelines and this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. But I want you to know that this is what God points us to. At the end of time, he says, after all of these things have taken place, after I've accomplished my plan, after I've worked on your behalf, after I've come back to make you mine, I'm going to restore earth. I'm going, to, I'm going to recreate what you have known as earth and it's going to be a final resting place for you, my children, with me for eternity. And so there's a couple things I just wanna pull out of this passage that I think we can be reminded of as life is difficult and sometimes as we lose sight and think that that God is not with us or that God does not love us or that God does not wanna be with us for eternity or that we've been abandoned, Sometimes we're distracted by how difficult life gets, and so this passage points forward to a picture, but reminds us what is true for us now as God's children. And so the first thing that we can see is the new earth is free from evil and decay, Right? We, we see this, that, that the earth that we live in and, and call home will not last forever. This earth, there are problems here, and yet the new Jerusalem, a new earth that God will create will be perfect as God has always intended. God promised Isaiah that he would create a new and eternal earth, and God will keep his promises. This verse also mentions that the the sea will be gone, and some of us are like, "But I like the ocean. My family goes to the Outer Banks every year, right?" And so I, I want you to know that that's not made to freak out Ohio people that have one of those stickers on the back of their car or anything, right? But but this passage is is pointing toward the fact that the sea has been noted for its chaos. We even know that the Antichrist, the Beast, will come out of the sea early in Revelation, and and just generally in this time, sea was associated with chaos because their instruments and their their sailing mechanisms and. All all these things weren't great back then. And so when it says the sea will be gone, it's saying that God is going to close these chapters of chaos, that he's going to establish control, he's going to enact his plan, and he's going to do what he has promised. He's going to be faithful. And so it says that the sea will be gone and provides that imagery that Satan himself will have no power or jurisdiction anymore. And so when God eliminates that, he eliminates chaos and decay and establishes a new home for us, his people. It's the site of ultimate perfection, and it's the ultimate Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were meant to live in and be in relationship with God, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. This is God establishing his plan, bringing things full circle and saying, this is where I wanted you all along, away from evil and decay. Second thing that we can notice, verse 2, the new earth is a gift from God. Verse 2 says, this new city is described as coming down from God. And like all gifts from God, it's not a gift we've earned or deserved, but one that we're freely given out of his love and his pursuit of us. We're told that this city is a beautiful bride, which contrasts against different pictures that were given in scripture where we're told that, that different cultures or different groups of people or the earth in general is, is, is more like a, a prostitute. And now this city where we will be with God is being compared to a beautiful bride. And so you can see the switch in, in imagery. And in the beginning, God created everything good. And in the end, He'll create and gift us this new unbroken world to be in His presence. The new earth is free from evil and decay. The new earth is a gift from God. And this third thing that we can see here, in the new earth, God's home will be among his people. Verse three tells us that all the expectations and unmet longings of the Old and New Testament, all of the things that we have felt as we have pursued God, all of the things and the the pain and the separation that we have known as we've lived on this earth, all of the promises that we've known in spite of that will finally be realized. So ever since the sin of Adam and Eve, we've been separated from God And yet God has called us to himself time and time again. We see that in the Old Testament in the prophets. We see that through Jesus, the son of God. And we see that through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And yet there's still this stirring that this world is is not perfect. And so in the new heaven and new earth for eternity, we finally get to experience ultimate and everlasting perfect fellowship with God forever. I don't know how your week was. I don't know exactly how you're feeling right now. But when I think about for all time, for all purposes, perfect, everlasting fellowship with my Father, my perfect God, that sounds pretty good. That doesn't mean that I don't want to hang out with you guys. You guys are nice people. You look very pretty today. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. But I think back to to some of the things of, of just my week. And I got to tell you, if we get more rain, I'm going to cry, right? Uh, my, my my yard is one of those yards in Hilliard because it's built on a swamp, apparently, uh, that, that likes to flood. And so yesterday, I was looking out the window as the rain came down, and this puddle just got bigger and bigger. And we kind of have a, a lake in our backyard and like a million leaves that are somehow still falling. It's like it's October all over again. And I just thought not really pretty here, right? And I, and I thought about what I was going to say today. I thought about what I was going to mention. And I just thought, man, to be in the presence for all time, for all purposes of, of, our, of our father, to be in the presence of God would be a lot better than hanging out at my house in Hilliard. And that's not to put down my house in Hilliard, but just to say that we're going to have quite a party fellowshipping with God and spending eternity with him. Verse four says this, in the new earth, there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. So am I whining about leaves and mud? Yes, I am, right? But there are real problems in this world and there's pain in this world. And I know people in this room who have lost loved ones this week I know people in this room who have experienced things that have, have hurt them in this last season of life and all of the, the ways that we could go around and say, have you ever been hurt? Have you ever been hurt? Is anything stressing you out right now? Do you have anxiety about your Christmas bonus or end of the year if you're going to get that or not? Anybody have exams this week? Yeah, I feel great about those, right? We could we could go around and we could talk about the things that weigh us down and the things that stress us out, and yet we're told that when we're in the presence of God, when we're in perfect fellowship with him in this new heaven and new earth, there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain, because we'll experience the complete wholeness that salvation in Jesus brings. And those words will just be removed from our vocabulary, because those, those words and those feelings and those conditions have no business being in the presence of God. This passage would have been a great encouragement to its original audience because they were being persecuted and they were looking to eternity with God. And sometimes I think that we have it easy, but I, I think that we can all agree today that, that life's not perfect and we're not perfect and we feel incomplete and having complete and perfect fellowship with God will, will be a whole other level of wholeness. Verse five tells us this, that in the new earth, our creator God secures our future. God starts and ends his story with the reminder that he's the creator and he's in control. At no point in your life have you been outside of God's story and at no point in your life have you been outside of his plan. Have you you stepped away from, from being able to be a part of his plan? There's nothing that you can do that would take you outside of the fact that God loves you and God has a plan for you. And so God secures our future He creates this new and final perfect place where we can rest with him and be made perfect like Christ. Verse six tells us that just this this simple line in the new earth, it is finished. God reinstates the final words of Jesus on the cross and just says, it is finished knowing that his plan has been set in motion. He connects the death of Christ with our assurance of eternal life. And he even mentions words like Alpha and Omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And he's basically saying, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm everything you know, everything you've seen, everything you can fathom, I'm in control and I'm God. And he's not boasting, he's simply just stating facts. He's, he's reminding us, Who We are as his children. He's telling us that I encompass reality. I encompass truth. I encompass everything you know and everything you are. God was from the beginning and is also from the end because Christ is supreme and in charge of all things. He's the one who gives the water of life to those who are thirsty. And sometimes we need that reminder because we've had a long week and we've run hard and we've done a lot of things. And some of them are good things and some of them are bad things. We've just been running and running and going and going and going. And even if we're living on mission, even if we're living with purpose, sometimes we just look up and we think, man, I'm tired and I need a rest. and I need some water. I need encouragement. We're reminded that the water of life, the spring of life comes from God. Verse 7 reminds us in the new earth that God's adopted children inherit his blessings. It says, All who are victorious, and it refers to those who've called on the name of Jesus and his finished work on the cross to overcome and defeat sin and death, reminds us that those people inherit his blessings. And so when we call on Jesus, we inherit his blessings as his children because he's our God. We're his adopted sons and daughters, and this language of adoption certifies our rights and privileges as his children that will share in all that God is and all of who he is. And you guys probably know that I love the topic of adoption. I love I love the concept of adoption. And we know and trust that God made us his adopted sons and daughters and and we've been given all of his rights and privileges. We inherit every part of who he is and and the same thing has marked my family. As I, as I think about the gospel and what God did for us, that's one of the main reasons that we wanted to adopt because we want the gospel to be lived out in that very practical illustration through the life of our family. And so I have a couple of kids who were not born in Worcester, Ohio in the same hospital that I was born in. And maybe they don't have the exact same color hair as my other kids, but I want you to know that those are my children. And I've, I've done my best to, to, to show them that they inherit everything that I am and everything that I hope to be and everything that our family is. Those are my children. And something that I love about the adoption process is if you go back and you look at their birth certificates, the state of Ohio actually recertifies and reissues those birth certificates. And the paperwork says that I was their dad the moment that they were born. That Kristen was their mom the moment they were born. That there was no other story and they're not trying to to dishonor that. I'm sure there will be a moment that we'll talk about that and we'll talk about their birth parents loving them and having another plan for them. But they also rewrite this as, as the state in documentation and say these were your parents and these were the ones that were chosen for you and this is your DNA and this is who you are. You are Mark and Kristen's adopted daughters. God says the same thing about us. He says that if we've chosen to follow him, we're his adopted sons and daughters. And so I want you to know, as we look back at this story that God has done, and we look at where we are in the middle of this story, and we look at the the previous weeks of this story, and as we question God's story, and as we look at what is God doing in all of history, we can know this. Here's our big idea for the day. We await and work toward a day when all that God intended will be completed. It doesn't mean that you'll wake up every day thinking, I'm lucky to be a Christian and I can't wait to Christmas carol on the way to work and give people hugs, right? It doesn't mean that you're thinking, I I can't wait to celebrate with my family or I can't wait to work Christmas Eve third shift because I lost the lottery. But it means that we're a part of God's story and we're a part of God's plan and we know the beginning of that story. We know the middle of that story. We know the end of that story. And if you didn't, you know it now that he's going to reunite with us as his children and all will be made perfect. And so we can be reminded that every day we're, we're waiting for that. We're waiting that. We're working toward that. We're living on mission for that. Christmas is, is a big deal because it's a reminder that God is with us. God was with us in the beginning. God was with us in the middle and God will be with us in the end. And God is with us right now. This passage asks some great questions. It, 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 it can't help but bring up the fact that we can ask, man, am I, am I a child of God? Am I an adopted child of God? I've known pain. I've known a lot of the things that were mentioned in that passage. Am I an adopted child of God? Have I, have I been struggling to get by? Am I, do I feel like I'm drowning in that sea of chaos? And, and scripture tells us that Jesus is the answer to the hole in our hearts. He's aware of the chaos that we've put ourselves in. He's aware of the chaos that we live in. He's aware of the way that we feel and the, the pain and the fear that dominate our thoughts and our lives and the anxiety we have. And he's offering us hope. He came and gave his life and died on the cross so that he could be the answer for us, so that he could be the bridge across this great divide between us and a perfect and holy God that we have no business knowing or being in the presence of. Jesus came and gave his life and he's throwing us a, a life preserver. He's throwing us a life preserver out in the water where we're drowning of life and he's saying, you're not enough, but I am. And so when we're aware that we're not enough, that we're incomplete, when we were able to say, you know what? I need the help of Jesus. Jesus. He says, that is when I'll come into your life. That's when I'll come into your heart. That's when I'll give you hope. That's when I'll restore everything that's broken. And that's when you'll be my adopted child. That's when you'll be my son or daughter. And in the same way that Jesus gives his life and gave his life for us, we're able to live our lives to honor him. That's what this story about God being with us really means, is that God is with us as our father And we can know and we can have assurance and we can trust that we're with him. So I wanna ask you that simple question. God is with us. Are you his adopted son or daughter this holiday season? Are you living like you're his adopted son or daughter? Have you been living with joy and purpose knowing the beginning, middle and end of this story? If maybe that's not the case, I want you to know that you can make a decision to trust Jesus and follow Jesus today. And we'll talk about that in a second, but we would love to talk to you more about how you can grab that life preserver, how you can take a step toward Jesus and say, Jesus, I am lost without you and I need you. I want you. I want to live my life for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you have written history. Thank you that you have been with us for all time. And thank you that we get to celebrate that and be reminded of that at Christmas, Lord. But that is, that's is—that's true on Easter and Flag Day and Thanksgiving and every other holiday. You are, Lord, you are you are never not with us. You have a plan for us. You love us. You pursue us. And you want to know us. And so God, I pray that as a church this week, we can rest in you. I pray that as, uh, as we want to be moving and people finding our way back to God, I pray that we'll be aware of whatever that step is this week. For some of us, we need to take a first-time step towards you. For others, we need to reestablish connection and relationship. And for others, we need to get serious about our commitment to live for you. And so, God, I pray that you will make that obvious to us. God, be with us now as we continue to worship, as we continue to praise you and, and just be reminded of our purpose. Thank you for being with us this week. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.